0: You are listening to Inspired Caring with Michelle Magner, episode number 140. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end of life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. I am really excited to have you on because I think we don't get much male perspective on the caregiving journey. So I think this is going to be a really valuable conversation.
1: Uh, I enjoyed your um, uh, interview with your mom. She sounds like a fascinating lady.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It. We have had years of commuting conversations, and keep and maybe there is a way to record those conversations they're such, they're so fascinating and valuable. And so we thought, well, we'll just do a little series here mm-hmm. and there. Um,
1: mm-hmm. she
0: is, she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: That's well, I'm I felt about mine, you know, very talented, very creative, loving. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned in any of my notes, but I sometimes prefer to as my first female friend.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And your mom's name is Sheila. Was. Yeah.
1: Was, yeah. Years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. So even even my walk and Alzheimer's team is is named after her. Uh mm-hmm. we refer to our caring for her as team Sheila.
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's start there, Bill. I would love to hear about your experience with caring for your mom and what that journey was like for you as a family member.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, what I'd like to say is that if you had told me was was going to happen and what was going to transpire 18, 20 years ago, and I'd be doing what I'm doing today, I'd say, you're crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: couldn't make up that scenario. It's like the old thing. Do any of us imagine being a caregiver in this extreme of situation? Well, I certainly didn't. And on top of it, we have no kids. We're the old term "Dinks," dual income, no kids. Yeah. So and I, so I'd refer to myself as not sandwich generation, but open face, open face sandwich.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that.
1: <laughs> so no previous experience, but it going back to my mom, I think she, I think is why I have a strong nurturing side.
0: Mm-hmm. So there
1: was no question that I was going to go into that role. But going back to the mid two thousands, uh. I'm a native New Englander,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: live in Portland, Oregon, but many years ago, my mom moved down with my stepfather to Biloxi, Mississippi. Oh my gosh. Obviously I'm not from there. So uh, around 2004, she was showing some very disturbing signs, and including memory loss, agitation, confusion, paranoia. She wasn't taking care of the house. She wasn't taking care of the finances and the taxes her art was changing. She was in the caregiving role for my late stepfather, who had all kinds of conditions. He was on and off hospice. So we were thinking, okay, if he passes away or goes into a care community, will she bounce back? Mm -hmm. Was she just tired? Was she stressed? Was she just getting older? Again, I didn't have the education back then I have now. So who knows what was going on. Got her on one of the Uh, generic drugs at the time, uh, still around, Namenda, and hoping for the best and see if that would help her. But we didn't get that opportunity to find out what would happen because what happened on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and New Orleans in August 2005? Hurricane. Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. She fully expected after evacuating safely to come back to that house the trauma of seeing it gone down to the foundation. I think she described it herself to the best she could because she was an artist, was the Munch scream uh, art.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, I, She couldn't believe what she saw. So needless to say, the trauma that exacerbated, accelerated whatever was going on with her. We didn't know yet it was Alzheimer's. We knew it was some kind of dementia. They had evacuated safely. She was, uh, she first went to North Carolina with step family. Tell you a quick story, which I think illustrates how the, how dementia, how disturbing it can be, especially to relationships. So very shortly after the hurricane, I hear that my mom is out in the driveway trying to see, exit, seek, get away. She didn't have a good relationship with my stepbrother. Mm-hmm. did, but that's besides the point but fortunately another family member got her on the phone said Sheila if you don't get back in that house you may end up somewhere you don't want to be like institutionalized right she got the message goes back in the house I'm in the next flight which I was planning to do very shortly anyway I get there she's happy to see me calms her down and I say to mom and this was uh Some people use the the terms white lie, therapeutic lie. I like the term compassionate deception. Mm. Not doing any harm. You're not just telling the whole truth. It's in her best interest. Mom, we're going to go see a new doctor tomorrow. Oh, okay. We were going to the emergency department. Mm. I was going to see a doctor, get her on some medication because she was so agitated, so traumatized. That next day was the hardest emotional day of my life. She... We ended up there for about 10 hours in the ER. For most of it, we were in an adjoining conference room because she couldn't be around anybody else. She was too disturbing. And my mother's face and her tension, her grimace was like a caged animal. I barely recognized my sweet Mm. mother. Fortunately, they finally saw her, admitted her, got her on some medication. I get off the elevator the next morning. She sees me and says, ah, there you are. There's my savior. She didn't want to be mad at me. She wasn't. She wasn't mad at me. It was a disease, and it, it's just it's just gut wrenching to, to to see that. Long story short, I go into the long distance and uh, caregiving mode, and doing cross country travel numerous times. I start going to a support group. It's part of the story. I'm trying to hold down a full time job. Start seeing a counselor. Start looking at a care facility that uh, here in Southwest. Portland that I wanted her to be, if she could get in and afford it, it was faith-based nonprofit, great reputation. Uh, she ends up moving to Florida briefly with one of my aunts, and then in 2008, after she'd been in a couple of communities, she wasn't living with those family members. Um, move her out to Oregon. She's, they said, okay, we'll admit her. I'll tell you another quick story. She walks into one into the assisted living lobby. It's one of those places. looks so really nice. Mm -hmm. Arizona isn't always good in a lot of those places but this place looked nice she walks in and says this is nice Bill I could live here can I afford it again Mm -hmm. compassionate deception yes mom I knew she Mm -hmm. was running out of money (laughs) Um, she was there for just under a year during a norovirus quarantine she starts exit seeking doing dangerous behaviors has to go into memory care she runs out of money right at that moment So it was real cluster, you know what, Mm -hmm. Uh, we took care of that, she goes into memory care for about four years, that building until it got recently renovated, it looked like the old nursing homes, not very pretty, very hospital institutional, but the care was excellent. Mm -hmm. I love to mention that the head nurse had been there over 30 years.
0: Wow.
1: I mean, you don't hear about that anymore. There are just so much the adult day program. She just loved the woman. She's been there for like 15 years. So they took really good care of her. Mom passed away uh, 10 and a half years ago, age 83. And what I like to say is that I lo- I turned my loss, my pain into my passion and my encore career. Mm-hmm. My purpose, my why. So, and there's a lot more beyond that, how I got starting
0: on what I'm doing today. I mean, it's so, I mean, you're in it and you're trying to navigate it and figure it out and hold down the job and figure out what the resources are and figure out how to try and take care of your own self. And she's very far away. Mm -hmm. I think that is something that a lot of families struggle with is do I move them near where I'm at? Mm -hmm. When is it appropriate? At What, you know, how do we make that decision? Mm -hmm. What for you felt like a defining moment that that was the way to go?
1: To bring her out here? Yeah. So I I like to tell people that it's really hard to hit that sweet spot. It's almost like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Mm -hmm. It can be too early. It can be too late. Very rarely is it just right. Just the right time that you nail it. Oh, we did it perfectly. Very rare. So you have to make an educated guess. working with other professionals, medical, social work, housing, who can be very helpful. Uh, I didn't know about the housing people. I work very closely with them now. People who are also certified senior advisors and they know all the properties. So Yeah. yeah, working with people like that. So it's, I think it, talking to various people and your own family, have that conversation. Don't shove it under the rug. Don't kick it down the road. Well, they're just tired. They're getting older, what have you. Oh, they're fine. Really look for certain signs that, hey, either they're not happy, they're not thriving, or they're not safe, or they're not getting good care, or you can't provide the care Mm -hmm. that they need. You can't make a promise that you will keep them in that house the rest of their lives. Maybe, For a lot longer by taking certain steps. But you need to look at the total picture and what is in their best interest. And because at a certain point, they can't make that decision themselves. They think they're, but they're going to be in denial or they just can't grasp that what's happening to them, which is tragic. It's sad, but it's reality that we need to make the decisions for them. And it's better to, and we can talk about this again. Different type of caregiving types, and how you can come to those decisions and solicit help. Uh, you don't have. It's it's an adage we all hear it. You don't have to go it alone, and that's that's true. But too many people try to do that. I can I can right. handle it. Uh, nobody else can do it like I can. Right. Right. My father's uh, second wife was like that, and she almost killed her. <laughs>
0: I mean, women buckle down and men buckle down. Like we do what needs to get done,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, however it needs to happen mm-hmm. and and just make it work. I think one of the things that my clients we have talked about are if it's not working for you anymore, either, it's OK to make some recommendations for them even before they are incapable. Mm-hmm. There is a certain point, especially with dementia where it is just, you know, brain chemistry. It's just not possible for them to make a decision, especially as big as this one. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's okay to kind of let things ride. It's okay to know that you can help pick up the pieces because there is a sweet spot in here. Mm -hmm. And not often do people leverage that window of time. It's usually either a crisis or a really good preemptive strike planner. So knowing you can pick up the pieces, And then just realizing it's okay to say to the family member, listen, I I can't help you anymore from this Mm -hmm. distance. Mm -hmm. Like I want time with you. I want us to have these years together. And is the situation sustainable is a Mm -hmm. great question. Like three years from now, do you feel like this is gonna continue to work as it is? Mm -hmm. Because most often the answer is not really.
1: Correct. And as you were alluding to, you touched on briefly, is along with what I said about having the conversation, talk about it, what's better, being proactive, planning, prepared, having some things in place, or reacting in a crisis when you're emotional, you're stressed, and you have fewer options. So if you have the legal documents in place, you have power of attorney, advanced directive, uh, you Start maybe introducing some care. Don't call it a babysitter. Don't call it a nurse. Bring in a companion, a friend, right, right have you. But also look at some care communities with the help with a good placement person, a, a senior housing advisor, and find the place that would be a good fit. You don't have to say, we're moving in today. Put down a deposit. You have the peace of mind knowing you made a decision in case that event happens, a stroke, a broken hip, things like that. they may not happen. But if they do, you're prepared. Right. I'm dealing with a client right now for the, actually almost the past year. It's a long story. If we get time, I can tell about it. But a month ago, uh, her mom was thriving in a kind of memory care assisted living. It has an outer perimeter. She's, it's memory care, but she could go outside independently, do things, take care of herself. Unfortunately, she fell hmm. coming out of a van and broke her pelvis and arm. She had a a hemorrhage. She had a UTI. That's a game changer. Yeah, She is out of skilled nursing. She is going into a memory care unit now, but you can imagine the stress of the the daughter who is from Portland, but she lives in the UK. Oh
0: my gosh, yeah.
1: Her flights, her long distance caregiving. So that's where somebody like me comes in, put together a a care team, a collaboration, and a care plan with what ifs okay here's plan a but you need a b and c right right
0: oh that's so good
1: mm-hmm. so what, I, what found, are- I found that void when i was taking care of my mom that who is saying to the caregiver yeah all the emphasis is on the person with the condition of disease but who's saying to the care how are you doing what resources and and planning do you need and, and right. that's sorely lacking. And that's where I feel like we can fill in that void and help them through that journey like we went through.
0: So do you think it makes sense to start with talking about the fair family caregiving types or putting together the care team and plan now?
1: Let's talk about the first one part. Uh, okay. Or the I'm sorry, the second about the uh, the care team plan. So okay. I know how I was tra- having to try to do it going back. 15, 18 years ago, and which is related to the caregiving types, but being able to put together a care team, not knowing who, what's out there. Mm-hmm. What are even these names? What's a CNA? What's an elder law attorney? Who knew? And those are the people that you need on your team. You need a financial person. You may need a home care agency. You may need a housing advisor. You may need an occupational therapist. There's so many different roles. So. Each case, of course, is a little bit different, even though there's common threads. I help people pull together that team of trusted advisors and collaborate to manage the care, help you take care of your person with dementia or other condition. I do help some other people as well, manage the care, but also practice self-care and preventive health because, hey, you see what's going on with your loved one. And it may or may not be genetic, but you want to keep physically active, mentally active, socially active, eat nutritiously, stop eating crap. (laughs) Right.
0: Yes. Move your body, drink your water.
1: Right. So, I mean, if you want it, I could talk about this later. I don't have the same risk factors as my mother, but I'm very proactive about my health and I walk the talk. I'm not a I'm not a health and wellness practitioner, but I call myself wellness tangential. (laughs) (laughs) So having that care team and plan with all the what-ifs and coordinating whether it's individual or joint meetings in person or Zoom, because I help people not just in the Pacific Northwest, but nationally, that gives the caregiver, especially the primary and their family members, peace of mind, knowing we've got a plan we're doing everything we can we've looked at all the what ifs and i and one of the things i help people with occasionally is uh i may be doing some things like even companion work for their loved one i don't do hands on caregiving but i can spend time with them
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: and a lot of other things i can go to your care conference with you i can sit and talk to you so you can get what's off your chest or brainstorm whatever and some people said to me i have a therapist But you've been there, Bill. You get it. They
0: don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very it is very different. Mm -hmm. So as they're putting together their care team and plan, it sounds like what you're doing is really outlining for them possible scenarios and who they would bring in to be of assistance at Mm -hmm. various points. Mm -hmm. And then how do you help people? tip the scale to actually ask for help or make that call or participate in the execution of a plan that they have put in place?
1: Well, it has to be gentle. Yeah. That If you try to pressure, you've got to do this. Well, it's almost like in some ways to the extreme with the person with dementia. I mean, if if you ask somebody with dementia, what do you want to do? It's almost like a two-year-old. They can say, I don't know. Or do you want to do this or do you want to do that? Or do you want to do this? No, you have to put it into simple choices. Mm-hmm. And okay, I can work with you. I can help you with this or that. What would you like to do? How would you like to get started? I I always give them that time, give them the space, give them time to think about it. I've had people anywhere from one day signing on and, and compensating me to years Bill, now I need you.
0: Wow, yeah. You're
1: right. You're right. Now I know I need you. I just, I know how I felt. I didn't want to be pressured. Uh, So it's very important that they know where to find me. They know what I do. They know how, how to work with me and just go like that. Because I know it sounds a little corny. I worked for the state of Oregon for 25 years.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not
1: doing this for the money. Right. <laughs> I just whatever i pull in is so i can reach more people yeah yeah but it's challenging it's emotional it's gut-wrenching like that case i was just talking about Mm -hmm. but it's very very gratifying i can't tell you how many times i'd be rich if i had a dollar for every time that uk client said to me thank you thank you thank you thank you
0: (laughs) right absolutely i mean right It's it's because it is such emotionally driven work. You're just, you're diving into some of the deepest parts of our soul to help people.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you asked about different caregiving types. So our family was almost a microcosm of all the types. So, Uh (laughs) but, and maybe one or two were a little bit beyond, but the, and I can give some good examples. Right after the storm, we were what's called collaborative. Everybody's pitching in a different ways to help get my mother in particular, but also my stepfather back on track. Even to the extent where one cousin, she had lost her computer. She was still able to use one, set her up with a little mini Mac and got her good to go again. You know, I couldn't do that. Nobody else in the family, but that cousin could. Mm -hmm. It became, as I mentioned, she went from losing her home to North Carolina to uh florida then to here it became tag team or sequential we took turns okay. now now with mom moving out here which kind of goes back to your when we were talking about the goldilocks thing the right time to move mom out here hard to say but while she was still ambulatory and mm-hmm. still cognizant enough to handle the move and to fly out here that we that was our criteria and it ended up working out very well Hardest part flying her was the bathrooms because obviously mm-hmm. I couldn't go in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Exactly. So then there's the uh I became more of, although still a little help from various family members, the primary, solitary, which could, as we all know, can be a very uh exhausting, overwhelming, isolated situation. Nobody I don't wish that on anybody. Now there's a couple of others which are kind of lumped together into the uneasy or the distant uh, family member who, one, either is not involved at all, or they uh, maybe help out a little bit, or they provide unsolicited advice, mm-hmm. right? So, we all probably know somebody like that. And I have two Approaches for those different kinds of family members who either can't, won't, or for whatever reason help, or they have a lot of opinions. Now, mm-hmm. my two aunts in particular, they had a lot of opinions, but I knew their heart was in the right place. Right. They cared about my mom. They also knew my name was on the power of attorney. I cared about mom that I was going to make a decision after listening to them. Now, there are obviously others who don't have those. They have ulterior motives. They have the hidden agendas. They're uninformed. They're not involved. They don't get it. They don't know how it works. And I have two uh, suggestions on those situations. One is uh, that's a really good idea. Why don't you take that on? Now, one of two things is probably going to happen, both are good. One is they're either going to shut up and leave you alone, let you do, do what you're doing, right. or they are going to help, which is helpful. Even if it's something small like ordering things online, right? Right. So you're getting a win-win situation there either way. The other is, which is uh, for a different kind, is say that's a great idea. I'll think about it, and then ignore it,
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: if they don't have your loved one's best interest at heart, they're uninformed or an ulterior motive. You don't have to especially if you're the you're the primary caregiver and you have the responsibility you know what's going on
0: so right oh so my gosh
1: different kind of caregiving types and there's a there's some blend in there and there's no you know solitary hole that everybody's or slot that everybody goes into but so we're in a little bit of everything
0: Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. That is definitely where most most family members who are listening to this can identify who the other people are within <laughs> one of those types. Mm-hmm. And I love that you gave some very concrete strategies on how to deal with them. I think it was, I heard, I don't remember who originally said it, but um, someone online talked about the seagull effect, where you have those out-of-town family members that fly in, poop all mm-hmm. over the situation, mm-hmm. and then leave. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, is people, pretty frustrating.
1: Some people refer to somebody, let's say if it was a male caregiver, this could be a segue here, or a male family member, and they'll call him the prince. You know, the good son comes yeah. in, visits, everything's hokey dokey, takes off, doesn't help at all, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. As I as I've worked with and spoken to so many sisters, there's always a brother. The brother who is, to your point, the prince favorite one they do very little get most of the accolades and the sisters are kind of looking at each other left holding the bag
1: Yeah, he may be the one who's the power of attorney and the executor
0: and he may be the one in charge yeah exactly yeah
1: but it doesn't always work that way i've had even four brothers who are all working together helping to get their mother and stepfather and the birth mother all on the same page and they were all mm-hmm. spread out all over the west coast and one in dc so yeah it gets complicated
0: <laughs> it does get complicated and especially if there are in-laws involved
1: mm-hmm. a good segue there though is what i'm finding increasingly when you have family members like that who are not on the same page they're at an impasse some families can't decide on ordering pizza level right? on their family's care. So. I have a long history of facilitating, not just support groups or meetings at my work, my own family, won't get into it, (laughs) but (laughs) I am now a trained elder mediator. Help people who can't make a decision, they're at an impasse, they're talking about going to court and lawyer fees and everything else, and I help them come to a decision that nobody's going to get everything they want, but it's a decision they can all live with. Yeah. Yeah and keep them talking and go from there i do let them know i'm not a therapist i can't fix your family problems mm-hmm. so but that's also very gratifying sometimes it's just a minor part of what i'm doing but sometimes it's a full-blown elder mediation yeah great.
0: i mean really depending on the who the players are what their strengths are who's involved <clears throat> um, how passionate people are it, it can get pretty gnarly pretty quick what are some of the top things people are trying to decide on that you are finding that your services are helpful with?
1: Well, it may not be, for instance, we're uh, going back to like housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may not be the actual place that they're going to move to. And that's why I rely upon uh, good adult placement people who also happen to be certified senior advisors like myself, Uh, take a holistic approach. A broader perspective, they're good at finding resources like I am, but it might be in a different city,
0: right? Right.
1: So I can rely, oh, who do you know, an elder law attorney, Um, housing, that type of thing.
0: So housing, geography. Mm -hmm. um, What about end of life? Do do you find that people are on the same page about when to get hospice involved?
1: That's, of course, that's a touchy subject. Yes, absolutely. Because I think, again, misinformation or perception of what hospice is or isn't and how it can be comforting, it can be supporting, it can be in the best interest of your loved one. I think just people, they're not going to put them to sleep. They're going to help them transition out of life as comfortably and out of pain as possible. When it got to the point with my mom... uh, they said, yes, it's time for her to go on hospice. We can't care for her. We can't fix her anymore or make her any, any better. It's, uh, we're just going to keep her comfortable out of pain, et cetera. And she was still in her memory care unit. And we brought, and I just asked, who do you recommend? They recommended one that they worked Mm -hmm. well with, and it became just another layer of care on top of the people that already knew her and knew what her preferences were and how to and and uh, appreciate who she was as a person, including as an artist, that type of thing, and including the social worker and the person who cleaned her up and the nurse, and I didn't see it as something horrible. I saw it as something helpful. Now I did have one difference of opinion with the nurse, where they kept on saying we want to keep her on these medications. That I was advocating for my mother still
0: right.
1: that. If this isn't helping her, quality of life or anything, I want it tapered off or removed. The only thing that she should be getting at this point probably is morphine and increase it so that she's not in pain. And I'll have what she's having. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Tough time. I mean, thank God for for family medical and leave act. I took advantage of that. I had plenty of sick leave, but. One thing I didn't mention, very side side note, I, when I was working for the state while caring for mom, I had a micromanager, narcissistic boss from hell. Oh so you can God. imagine where my stress level was. I didn't trust that person. So I definitely applied for FEMLA to protect my job, even though I had tons of sick leave.
0: Wow. That, that is a really good strategic tip, especially if you are in a space where you can clearly, I think people have a hard time identifying those pivotal moments when to tap into a resource like that. Like, because everybody thinks, um, oh, this is going to be better in like a couple days. Like they don't realize that it's, they're in a situation that's going to continue for days or weeks. mm mm-hmm right how how so I mean, obviously no longer,
1: nobody knows how long it's going to be
0: right um so for you to utilize that benefit did you was it at, at her end of life or was it at some other point in even the caregiving before, journey
1: even before because i knew increasingly i needed to spend time with her yeah as as her uh disease progressed well, uh i don't think i used it in the early stages when I was doing the long distance caregiving, because once I got her out here, I she was in a safe place. She was in a good mm-hmm. community. My aunt from my other aunt from New York moved out here to help take care of her because she was retired. So she could spend a lot of time and I got there as much as I can. With my mom, I could have been there 24 or 7. That wouldn't have been enough. <laughs> so, so I didn't even try.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, and that is something really important for people to take note of that even when you are at your capacity and at your bandwidth and at your max level, even if you were there 24-7, it could it would potentially not feel like enough. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's where other family members and family is what uh something going to talk about with the different caregiving types. Family is how you define it.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: It, The support can come from so many different people, and sometimes we just need to ask is, how often do people say, let me know if I can help anyway? And you say, well, I'm fine. Well, that's hurting both you, your loved one, and you're not giving that person a chance. Think about all the different hats that you wear as a caregiver. You're the cook, bottle washer. You're the the doctor, nurse, Mm -hmm. accountant, finance, launderer. You name it, you're doing it all. Mm -hmm. If you put it out on a list and all these different tasks you have to do, and somebody says, how can I help? You know, can, your son I know it notices most lawns in the neighborhood. Can he come over and do ours?
0: Mm-hmm. You know they're
1: going to say yes.
0: Of course. Or sometimes exactly. you
1: have to just not even ask, just I'm saying to people who know somebody's in our position, said just bring them a meal.
0: Right. And it know- don't even ask. <laughs> Right, just drop it off. We know it's more fun to be on the giving end of a casserole. That's one of the things I share in my presentation. And what,
1: we, cult- what culture do you know that doesn't say, don't go over empty handed? Don't come in.
0: Right. right. <laughs> I think our job as caregivers is to be open to the idea of receiving. Receiving. A check-in phone call, receiving a latte dropped on your porch, receiving, Mm. I mean, when my mother-in-law was actively dying, my friends said in the group text, like, what do you need? And my daughter and I looked at each other and said, baked goods. There we go. (laughs) We need baked goods. (laughs) And and they just flowed to us. Mm -hmm. It was so beautiful.
1: I'll give you a similar story. And you mentioned a latte. So, Uh, The last two weeks at Mom's Care Facility, unfortunately, there was a norovirus quarantine. Mm. again, And the only people besides the staff and the residents allowed in the building were my aunt and myself, because they knew Sheila was getting close. Mm. Now, the care was wonderful. The coffee, institutional. Mm -hmm. I go on Facebook and say can somebody please bring me a mocha two different people from two different stands brought me a mocha to the front desk at the care home
0: oh
1: that that was gold to me yeah that made my day I needed that that was like a day or two before mom passed
0: yeah and really that makes me very teary because I think about the people who made the mocha and brought it to you they maybe needed it that day too Maybe mm-hmm. they were having a rotten day and they mm-hmm. and then here came this opportunity to do something nice for someone and mm-hmm. it, it made them feel better. Exactly. So most of the time, statistically, the caregiver is a woman and you are not a woman, Bill. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Although I find myself between the caregiving and senior space, Mm-hmm. actually i don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, of an international women's group called e-women network i am an e male male and okay. usually at a lot of these meetings it's like one or two men at the most and like 30 40 or more women so i'm very comfortable in that so to uh go with your uh prompt here men do handle it differently we are mm-hmm. usually not in that nurturing caregiving role including would children although it is increasing and when it comes to dementia uh, when I started it was like one out of every five caregivers was a male and now it's more like one out of every three more and more men are stepping into that role I see it in my clients see it in my support groups but they handle it differently it's more like it's a job I can handle it I can do it myself a series of tasks I don't need counseling, I don't need a sor- support group, I can handle this. I had one man who coincidentally enough, his wife was a gerontologist. She actually subbed at my support group that I started attending back 18 years ago, which I still facilitate today, same group.
0: Wow. And
1: because of her field, it, she didn't wanna have anybody come into the house or to go to a care facility, I might be recognized. She'd be embarrassed. You'd think she'd know better, but the disease, right? Right. So he was burning out. And I asked him four blunt questions. I said, okay, is it that you're the only one can take care of it? You don't want to admit you can't handle it? Is it denial? Uh, do you have control issues? He said, All of the above. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes. So he brought in myself his son and daughter-in-law started bringing in AIDS and which reduces stress. He could provide better care to his wife who did eventually go into a care community and passed away. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's never a, a happy ending, but at least it got easier for both of them. Right. Oh, so, yeah. But too many men take that attitude. But that can cross against across genders. We know a lot of women too feel I've been a caregiver for my children. I can do it for my husband, for better or worse, sick or poorer, or my parent, I can take care of them. That's my role. And they do it on, they try to do it themselves without help. And that's just asking for trouble. You may have heard this statistic. I don't know the exact, but I'm pretty close. That when you're talking about somebody 70% 70, sorry, 70 years of age or older, with dementia about two-thirds pre-decease their loved one Mm -hmm. that is preventable and but it's tragic
0: it is the cautionary tale that gets me up every morning because it's literally what we lived with my in-laws my mother-in-law lived with dementia Mm -hmm. for 12 years my father-in-law was her primary caregiver Five months before the care community they had selected opened their doors because they picked a new place um, and he had kept her home. He was diagnosed with a terminal cancer and he passed away February of 22 and she passed away this April. It's frustrating because we were robbed of 32 years potentially with my mother-in-law because of the dementia. Mm-hmm. Hit Her mother lived to her 90s. And my father-in-law, his mother lived into her nineties and both of these people were gone at 75. Mm -hmm. So it is a constant motivator for me to continue to make sure that caregivers have support and resources like bringing you onto the podcast so people can find you. You work with people all over the globe. You have your own processes and strategies and systems to help them. And I really hope that something that you said today really struck a chord or a nerve
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) with
0: someone.
1: And like you, uh, and you probably have seen my tagline, as we like to say, uh, I can help you. I can help your family. I can help your clients. I've been there. And so have you. So you understand that. Yeah.
0: Well, that's great. So how do people get a hold of you? I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. Um, But just share with us, how can people find you, Bill?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll preface it that uh, besides my uh, uh, main support groups, I have a Facebook community, which is Dementia Support Group for Caregivers with Bill Cohen. And it's a good forum for people to talk and bring up issues. But we also have a monthly conversation with uh, people in the industry and out uh, but it's usually a good uh, learning uh, uh experience but my main place would be, like uh, everybody is my website cohen c o h e n caregivingsupport dot com like right behind me mm-hmm. and uh, it tells how I work and it talks about my support groups about how I do elder mediation that type of thing so man I'm all over various uh social media platforms
0: well we need to clone you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I could use that. Mm. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how about Mrs. Bill, as I like to call her would feel about that? <laughs> One bill is enough.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so many. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very grateful. And um, the work you do is amazing. And I know that you're helping a lot of people. And so just want to encourage people to reach out to Bill if something he shared today landed with you. And mm-hmm. you are... I can, I don't I want I don't want to say ready cuz call them before you think you're ready call mm-hmm. before you think you need it
1: at least have a conversation
0: at least have the conversation thank you and so I, much for being here
1: and I want to thank you for what you're doing including having me on the podcast today and it was an honor
0: my pleasure thanks thank you. What I know for sure is that things are going fine until they're not. Everyone wants to stay in their home for as long as possible. And then there's a fall or a hospital stay or clear signs of dementia or a diagnosis and remaining at home becomes questionable or potentially impossible. It is super important that you are informed about what assisted living and nursing home care can offer and understand how to choose the one that will best fit the needs of your family. I know from personal and professional experience what objections are going to come up and how to navigate those conversations. You love your family member and you are doing a great job. It just feels like the situation is fragile. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop and you don't know what you don't know. Illuminating Senior Living answers all of your questions and walks you through step by step each common objection and frequently asked question. This course will save you so much time and heartache. Imagine knowing exactly when it's time to move and ensuring the care and safety of your family member. Imagine knowing what specifically to be looking for in a care community and how to have the conversations about moving. Illuminating Senior Living gives you the roadmap so you're prepared. Click the link in the show notes, Illuminating Senior Living to secure your video course today.